Welcome to That Might Be Cool. I'm Jason Hammonds, and joining me today is a man who is one of the most, I've said this before, but he's one of the most analytical minds in the world of comics. Uh, he is an editor, a letterer, he is he is a YouTuber, he's a podcaster, he's a lot of things. Uh, he is Hassan Otsman El Howe. Welcome to the show, Hass. Hi, yeah, thanks for having me again. It's Absolutely. been a while. Absolutely. It has been a while, yeah. it's It's been at least a year since, uh, since we've been on mic together. Um, I mean, you, it's- go ahead. I was, I was just going to say, it's, it's sort of one of those things, right, when you start a podcast, because obviously uh, you have to talk beforehand. I, this might be like a trade secret, it might ruin <laughs> the magic of podcasts, but you, you sort of have to have a conversation beforehand because you're saying, hey, and just catching up or whatever, and mm-hmm. then you're like, we'll do the podcast. And then the only thing I can think to say as soon as the podcast starts is everything we've already just spoken about. <laughs> and so, but then you, you sort of got to do it in kind of like a natural way, like, oh, you know, good to be back, as though we haven't just had this whole conversation <laughs> like two seconds before this. No um, joke, man. So that, as, soon, as soon as I said it, I was like, oh, this feels super awkward, but now I, I had it's to okay. We I'm can, so sorry. If we really, I mean, we could just recreate <laughs> our conversation beat for beat. It'll, it'll be totally fine. We can just go through the same exact talking <laughs> points. We already have a script made up. It's fine. Uh, <laughs> But uh, today we're talking about uh, uh, really, in some ways, the smallest MCU movie. Uh, it's it's a movie that really kind of brought everything down to size and scaled back the uh, the the scope of the MCU. Uh, today we're talking about the Shrinking Man himself. It is the movie Ant Man. That was an amazing intro. Oh shit! You're doing the thing. I'm so sorry. Dude, no, you're good. That's because honestly, that gives me a great place to cut back in. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, has, tell tell me your thoughts on Ant Man. Did you see this uh, when it was in theaters? Uh, I yeah, I think I've seen I think I've seen all of them in the cinema. Oh, yeah. uh, I'm I'm so sure. No, I, I yeah, no, I think I've seen all of them in the cinema. Um, yeah, so yes, <laughs> along with the, it's like it's the only thing I it's, uh, apparently it's the only thing I go to the cinema for anymore is, is superhero movies because I guess nothing else exists. I guess not, um, not anymore, man. There is a weird thing where I, I I feel like I don't watch a lot. I don't really watch them not in the cinema. Like I don't, I haven't. Um, you know, I revisited this for this podcast. Yeah. Um, but I've rarely watched the superhero film just uh, you know like at home or whatever. Um, I much prefer them just to be like on the big screen as spectacles, and I kind of they, they sort of like wash out of my brain after that. Um, <laughs> I so feel it was that. good. It was good, but it was it was fun to watch. That's my Ant Man again. Actually, it's, it's probably one of my favorite ones. Yeah, it's this is an interesting one because it's like I I always I never think of it as being one of my favorites until I watch it again. You know, like I did. I watched it last night, and I was like. Oh my god! I I forgot that this is one of my favorite Marvel movies. Like every time I talk mm-hmm. about it, I'm like, "Oh yeah, yeah, man, it's fine, whatever." Uh, <laughs> but then I revisit it. I'm like, "Wow, this movie is so fun. It holds together so well. The plot is is really tight. Like the characters are great. It's got a lot of great humor. Like it's pretty inventive." Um, yeah, it's weird. It's like it's a sneaky good Marvel movie. I don't know. I think that like because the stakes are almost uh, like non-existent in terms of the bigger, <laughs> you know, like, the bigger picture. Yeah, there's absolutely nothing. Like if there's there's just nothing at stake apart from the explanation of like the quantum realm. That's yeah. the only thing that really has any impact on anything else in the rest of the, the kind of like the universe or whatever. Totally. And so like it doesn't really, it doesn't have like a big moment where like uh, you know the the villain destroys uh what a weird tangent the villain destroys like a um a base and then like dr strange pops up and it's like oh wow that's my house and he's like, oh let's do a team up for a bit it's just kind <laughs> of like its own little weird little thing that very very 
loosely just goes, oh, we're going to do the Quantum Realm and some other movies to make Ant-Man, like, worth the time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, but it's, as its own movie, it's like, it's a much, I think it's a much more fun film as, a, like a, as its own film than, than most of the other Marvel films. Yeah, I think you're right. And I, I think it does stand, like, outside of maybe, like, this one and Guardians, I think, are two that really stand on their own better than almost any other. And even Guardians, at certain points, ends up pulling a lot of weight for the universe. But, uh, yeah, I, I, and I wonder, because I think after Ant-Man and Ant-Man and the Wasp, I feel like if this character is to get, like, you know, quote-unquote his own film or whatever again, I feel like they would almost have to do what they did with Ragnarok where you kind of like bring in another big Marvel character, you know, apart from like Ant-Man and the Wasp and sort of the characters that are mm-hmm. established in this universe. I feel like just, I mean, a, because of like, you know, box office returns and business, things like that. But I also think <laughs> like B because they're sort of in this, this is something that we'll, you know, on, later on in episodes of the show, we'll get into with Ant-Man and the Wasp, but it does feel like in certain ways, there's not too much ground to tread in in just Ant-Man stories. Uh, mm. And so I feel like you would have to like introduce a new component to that to keep this franchise going on its own rather than just having Ant-Man be... I mean, like you're talking about, bringing in Doctor Strange to like have a you know little team-up <laughs> for a minute or something. Because like, I think that that's what yeah. they'll have to do if they do a third film in this franchise. I... The thing that I re- the thing that I w- I wish they would not do that, and I, I can see the appeal of wanting to do that. Because uh-huh. like, if you look at um, Captain America two, is two is like civil two Civil War, isn't it? Uh, two is the Winter Soldier, and then three Civil War. Winter Soldier yeah. and three Civil right. So so essentially, like uh, three was basically like a mini Avengers film. Yeah, and they got to that stage where they have where they sort of it feels like they have to start bringing people into each other's movies to make uh, you know for for money right to make because each movie's now got to be like the biggest blockbuster movie but but i i I don't know why there's there's any harm in kind of saying like this one will not make anywhere near as much money as uh, the previous installment but it's also not trying to do that it's doing something something else like the thing that i really loved about this was the fact that it felt kind of self-contained although i will say like from the start if you if you don't know anything about the marvel movies and you start watching that film i do think there's like I don't think you would understand what was going on quite as easily or quickly That's as true. someone who understands that world. Because it starts out with that, uh, it starts out with like a flashback of, with like two characters, or at least one character who um, was definitely in something else. Uh, the oh, woman, yeah, yeah. So we we have who, Peggy Carter uh, and then Howard Stark. Peggy Carter. Yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah. So two. So that's it's like two. There you go. I didn't even realize who those two people were, oh, yeah. but I knew they were in the different <laughs> ones. Uh, <laughs> this is how I, it's been a while. No, um, I feel you. But yeah, they. they even yeah, I mean, even me who have seen them all, I was watching that like I'm I'm so sure I should recognize those two people better than I do recognize them right now. Um, <laughs> and it, and it, it it's almost like a weird kind of like cold opening where it it, it feels yeah. like you already have an established base. Yeah, and it's it's kind of weird too because not many Marvel films start out with a cold open like to you know most of the time you have kind of this like grandiose sort of Marvel Studios opening or whatever. Whereas with this one, you just open right on this whatever it said like 1986 or whatever. Uh, mm. just directly into the scene and that's kind of um, and yeah it, like you said like they, they are established characters that if you haven't seen Iron Man 2 or Captain America then you're like I don't I don't get it. like who are they what's the <laughs> dynamic here like it's the thing that I don't it's the thing that I always sort of pulled me out of uh, you know like like superhero comics was if I'm reading a superhero comic and it's a bit of a different experience but you know in 20 pages if I'm reading it and then a character pops up and the comic sort of treats me as though I should already know who that person is. Yeah. And if I don't, I'm just suddenly like really alienated. And I had like a little bit of that at the start of uh, Ant-Man mm-hmm. watching it this, watching it again recently. Um, 
but it moved pretty quick. Like they, they kind of got away from that quite quickly. Um, and they got into the kind of like the fun Paul Rudd sort of heist bit. Um, and that was, and that's, that was such a better film for me is when they, when they just go to let's do, let's have like a heist movie, but set within the world of, uh, like the Marvel universe. Yeah. I'd love, I want to see more, more films where they, this is really bad because I want to see more films that aren't that don't have to be tied to a brand. But if they will, if they do have to be tied to a brand, then I prefer if they kind of did like the solo thing or the Ant Man thing, where yeah. they weren't just they're not just like another version of that movie, but they're like let's try doing a heist movie in this world, or let's try and doing like a crime caper in that in this world or whatever, and see what we can do. Because yeah. that's always a, it's just a bit it's a bit more fun to see something that isn't just like hero origin story, which unfortunately <laughs> this film does kind of do at the end. But, yeah. you know, it doesn't have to just end in like a big fight with a bad guy who wears the same costume as you. It can, <laughs> it can be something else. Yeah, and I think that, I think that like those elements, the, the this is just a heist movie, I feel as though, and there's always like, there's a certain amount of like, you know, um, um, postulating that goes on about what Edgar Wright's contributions to this film were and then yeah, what was sort yeah. of modified. Uh, my like thought on this you know however accurate it may or may not be uh has always been that like edgar wright was really trying to do a true like just sort of science fiction heist movie uh Mm -hmm. and that the ultimate disagreements ended up being over you know the amount of like tying it into the universe and like setting up things that are supposed to continue on and other things or whatever um and i do think that that's kind of the 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 sort of the balance that they've been trying to find i think ever since the sort of edgar wright debacle is like finding someone who is something of an auteur who has their own distinct vision but then also like not quite a big enough ego or established base to like Mm. challenge them on the things that they really want to do universe wise you know i think that with like james gunn and with taika waititi they found you know and and even ryan coogler to a degree although i think ryan coogler is one of the like coming into it was one of the more successful filmmakers that, that they'd had. But, uh, you know, you have, find these guys who distinctly have a voice and distinctly have a style, but they haven't quite mm. had like three or four, you know, big budget hits yet. And so you can kind right. of still, you know, allow them to be creative within the box, but then not venture too far outside of whatever your <laughs> comfort zone is. Well, they did they, the same. That was the same sort of thing with. Uh, again, with the, I have no knowledge of this apart from uh, you know just like internet rumors or Twitter or whatever. <laughs> exactly. Um, but you know, like the thing that happened with uh, the the solo Han Solo film yeah. with uh, Phil Lord and Chris Miller, and it was like you know they they kind of that what it was them too, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm thinking like two people, um, and they kind of got taken away because people were worried they were like you know the star wars bosses were worried about the what what the film was going to be like is it going to be the star wars that we want it to be and i think you may again have you ron howard was just that kind of like safe choice which maybe is what (laughs) happened with ant-man a little bit um yeah it it was written the the script you know is was joe cornish and edgar wright and Mm -hmm. edgar wright is incredibly visual in his directing style and always, always, always works better when he has someone else writing the script rather than him writing it. Yeah. And Joe Cornish is able, you know, his whole thing has been taking kind of like classic uh, ty- uh, film types and just doing like a kind of like a fun modern spin on them. You know, like, like Attack the Block was uh, just kind of that fun uh, spin on kind of like a, a alien invasion movie. Um, and uh, the king, the kid who would be king was like a really fun spin on like Arthurian legends. And so his whole thing was let's take a, a trope and kind of turn it into like a modern kind of fun uh you know format yeah and i think like i, I just I, I do kind of wish that that was it, it allowed them to to carry on making that film because i think it would have been so much more interesting like for uh, for me it, it just drops off that moment where um 
where Paul Rudd has to like learn to be Ant Man, and then because he's because he ultimately has got to go and fight uh, Yellow Jacket. Yeah, and I'm like that whole bit. I'm just kind of like, oh, no, like do the breaking into places and stealing shit. <laughs> like that, that, like that's what you pitch the film to be at the start. Yeah. You know, like there's the bit where Douglas turns from and says, "I want you to break in somewhere and steal some shit." And I'm yeah. like, yeah, let's do that. Let's. That, why is that not the film? Like, why is not the ultimate thing that he has to? There's like something crazy that he has to steal, totally. and it's really hard for him to steal it. Uh, but instead, he's just got to fight. And also, bald dudes, man. Why are bald dudes always the villains? Like. <laughs> It's not our fault, you know. This, <laughs> you've got, we've got we've got challenged follicles. It's not. It doesn't make us evil. I was thinking that as like because I actually really like Corey Stoll a lot as an actor. Um, yeah. And I was thinking that when he came on screen, and I was like, man, because I always think about this like with with some of these roles that I feel like are unfortunately um, underdone. You know, where where there's not really too <laughs> right. much for the actor to do. I was thinking about that. I was like, man, Corey Stoll's a good actor. Like. You know, I wonder if he like you know uh, uh, feels you know regretful about taking a part that kind of didn't really end up going anywhere. You know, like uh, you know, sort of thinking about like what other roles would there have been for this person. And I think about that a lot with some of these actors. Same with like Lee Pace and others. Mm-hmm. Um, and I started thinking, I was like, oh well, that would require like them to cast like a, a hero role, uh, like cast Corey Stoll in like a main lead hero role. And I was like. <laughs> That is weird. Like that, bald dudes just are are not <laughs> cast in those roles very often. Like it's it's odd because he's a good actor. He's like a handsome dude, you know. But it's the, evil. Bald it's, bald is evil, man. It's, yeah. it's the the standard movies have decided that bald people are, are, are factually evil. <laughs> blame, uh, which, is, which is a shame. Yeah, blame CC Beck for that one, I guess. <laughs> we can put wigs on. I mean, he could he could wear a wig. You <laughs> That's know? true, man. Corey stole in a wig. I don't know if I've ever even. <laughs> <laughs> like thought of that <laughs> he suits suits bald very well though i like he fully gets oh, a, yeah. away with being bald yeah he's got a very well-shaped head yeah and i, I think that's the thing with him too like he <laughs> is this where you thought this podcast would go <laughs> i mean look man i had no thoughts and i'm very glad that we've gone here <laughs> <laughs> but I, I i i think that he is is he's very charismatic in a lot of his roles and he really like has an underrated amount of of range uh, you know, like I, I was a big fan of his in, in House of Cards, um, where he plays a very different role from this. But like, he's kind of able to really, I don't know, to play along in that sort of comedy realm while also still being like the kind of, uh, uh, you know, I don't know, the, the flat tire of the scene, you know, like the, that he has to sort of drag things down and like be kind of a, um, a thorn in everyone's side. But like, you know, he plays it very well. And I, I really wish that this had been a more meaty role for him. Uh, there isn't. There isn't really. I mean, you'll. I guess you'll. You'll. You know, talk about this going through the the other films uh, in the series as well. But like, there isn't really like a super strong um, villain until you maybe get to even like Thanos or something. Yeah, it's, it's, like, it's a shame that they're, they're so kind of like thinly written. To, yeah, and I don't. I also don't. I just don't get the the, the point. I mean, I guess they're going to be gone after a film, so maybe they don't want to invest too much time in building these characters up or whatever. But his whole backstory is basically like, he just wanted to prove to Douglas that he was, I can't keep calling him by the actor names. Uh, <laughs> he wanted to keep, he wanted to prove to Douglas that, you know, he, like, I don't know, he was good. He was worth time or something. Yeah. Then and, then, <laughs> and, now, and then, and now he wants to kill everyone and take over. It's, it's, it's such a weird leap from like, what could, might have been like an interesting brooding character um, to, you know, like with daddy issues or whatever to uh, like, now I'm the super villain of this story. Um, it, it it never made, that bit. I don't pay too much attention to, but it never really makes that much made that much sense to me. Uh, sense totally. to me when I watched it recently. Yeah, it's weird. It, it's just it's just a weird leap. Yeah, it really is. Like he he takes 
it goes from like you know he's kind of a jealous dude to like he's megalomaniacal to he's absolutely <laughs> insane like it's it's <laughs> very strong steps uh and it is kind of funny because you know you you raise a valid point that like yeah they these villains show up for one film and then they're gone you know and so why invest too much time into them and and in this entire 22 movie slate you know there's been maybe three villains you know that that have been anything other than kind of forgettable and insertable you know and there have been a couple that have gone close but really it's like loki killmonger and thanos are like the only three that actually have any resonance and i i I think the thing that i you know because loki and thanos it's like they're almost exceptions because they keep popping up over and over uh, yeah, I, I, Loki's different because he just becomes like a character, and the same yeah. with like Winter Soldier, right? Uh, totally. Bucky Barnes, like great villain, but also then is just the, he's, they just turn him into like a useful character for like the narrative, who's who's sort of good and bad. Yeah, and Thanos, even Thanos, kind of counts like that, right? Like he's he's he sort of, I mean, I'm I'm on his side, like he did well, so. <laughs> It's kind of the, all the the villains are, that they that are useful that they, that they put a lot of time in. They've they they've made them like uh, worth money almost, right? They've made them useful for other films in the series. Yeah, totally. And and I think that I think Killmonger is like ugh, the best example of like a one and done villain that can actually be mm-hmm. impactful. And I think a big part of that is that he he changes the hero, you know. And obviously on the Black Panther episode down the road, we'll talk about that a lot, but. That is kind of the thing with with this villain is that you know Corey Stoll's character uh, Darren Cross uh, Yellowjacket doesn't really change anyone you know like he he doesn't right right he doesn't right. really have a point you know like there's nothing that he says or does that makes anyone go oh maybe I was approaching something the wrong way you know mm-hmm. other than I guess like like because that's the thing too is it's not like michael douglas has a realization of like oh i need to treat people differently and because of how i treated people (laughs) it caused him to do this it's just like oh no he's crazy like yeah that's the moral of the story is this guy's crazy uh it wouldn't even be hard to 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 write that character in a way where it's it is a little bit more uh kind of sympathetic yeah um and then you care you know then you can just care about his arc a little bit more like if if there was kind of some plot around you know um michael douglas being that kind of dickish character which i guess he is uh in the film but then him seeing this kind of like blossoming uh father-son relationship with paul rudd or something in a Mm -hmm. more kind of slightly subtle uh, developed way that like maybe that i could see how they could build that and there's a big heist and and then he comes in to try and uh you know destroy the heist or steal the thing first instead of paul rudd to to prove his i don't know whatever right that yeah that that, you can then you can keep the heist really locked into this heist thing and you can keep the heist as kind of like the the central core goal and keep the movie feeling like it has a stronger identity as it as it goes on because i think that's just the problem with with 99 of these marvel films is they're also interchangeable you know you I think I think if you look at like you can talk about like Thor Ragnarok is probably that uh, the one that has the kind of the strongest voice in Black Panther as well mm-hmm. uh, and and I think the first half of Ant Man has like a much sort of uh, more defined yeah. tone and voice definitely uh, but it just yeah it's just such a shame it, it gets lost and I think you, you, can, you can still see elements you know like the cool uh, Thomas the Tank Engine uh, ending <laughs> which is amazing um, yeah. and you can still elements of it in there but it, they they have to like wrap it and warp it around this kind of much less interesting uh you know bad guy sort of villain fight uh, sequence mm-hmm. yeah and, and i i think that's that's the thing too is like we we you know our i think for both of us it seems our our biggest complaint here of a movie that you know we both mostly like is that the villain is underwritten and, and because the villain is sort of underwritten it causes 
this film to to veer into this sort of generic territory of all right let's end mm. it the same way we ended iron man the same way that you know we ended <laughs> thor whatever you know it's like the same ending yeah. that all these movies have um and and yeah I, th- I think that there would be something very strong to do if if you just you know really bring out that sort of like dark mirror ref- like the the relationship between you know, to, between Paul Rudd and Michael Douglas could be a sort of mirrored reflection of the sort of soured relationship between Michael Douglas and, and uh, Corey Stoll, much mm-hmm. in the same way that, that there's kind of this nice reflection that I really enjoy in this movie uh, in comparing the relationship between Michael Douglas and um, Evangeline Lilly and then mm. Paul Rudd and his daughter. You know, I, 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 I liked in this movie how there's that sort of string and they don't drive it home too much, but but you can kind of see like, that there is kind of this just sort of Paul Rudd, you know, or Scott Lang looking at what potentially his relationship with his daughter could turn into uh, if mm-hmm. he's not, you know, if he if he doesn't like stick to, you know, this sort of new resolution, this new leaf that he's decided to turn over, um, which then puts all that at risk when, you know, he obviously like when he's getting arrested and, and you know, is is under, you know, the sort of gun of the law again. Um that it kind of shows like how certain things like this could sour. I don't know. It's, it's very, it's, it's an interesting comparison. And I feel like those two dynamics definitely could have been brought to the forefront a bit more to make this a, a more interesting, like emotional story. Um, yeah. I, I think like if, if I uh, clearly, if you and I were making it, uh, it wouldn't have made anywhere near as much money. Uh, <laughs> Probably. <laughs> but no, it's, this is, it's one of those ones as well, where it, again, like same, same thing that Captain Marvel did where it didn't, it didn't necessarily have, this does a little bit, but not quite have that kind of like romantic. It's not quite about the romantic uh, relationship as it is uh, the, like the paternal. Yeah. Um, and where Captain Marvel was very much about like the kind of like friendship uh, relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it, it is there, as I said, like there, there is like this whole, there's whole massive elements of it that feel incredibly fresh having uh, like a kind of um, separated parents and that kind of figuring out his daughter thing as a reflection of Douglas and Evangeline Lilly is, is beautiful. Yeah. They don't. They don't do too much with it. I think they do a little bit more of it in in Ant Man and the Wasp. Um, mm-hmm. When I guess they kind of already established the characters a bit more. Yeah. Um, but all those all those elements of the film, which I imagine are much more uh, derived from like Edgar Wright and Joe Cornish's scripts, like all the stuff with Bobby Cannavale. Is that how you say his surname? I think so. Yeah, Cannavale. Yeah. Yeah. Let's go with that. Uh, all the stuff with him and um, uh, his wife in the film, whose name I cannot remember, Kitty from Arrested Development. Is it Judy Greer? Judy Greer, yeah, there you go. Uh, and like all the all the scenes with with him and like Paul Rudd doing the magic and kind of Ali had been like, oh, you know, how did you how do you how do you do that? Um, <laughs> although is that from the second one? That's from the second one, isn't it? Uh, potentially, yes. I may have, yeah, I may have completely. Uh, no, is no, it, no, no is that's it from... this, that's this. Yeah, when they're fighting, like no, how do you do one. that? Yeah, 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 it's this one. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and so th- there's like all this, uh, there's all like all this kind of like character. Uh, all this kind of like well done sort of character comedy, like good character writing, which yes. I imagine is still from that script because they still get like a proper uh, like uh, screenplay credit. Um, those yeah. two, so I'm this is heavy part of that film is coming from them. Um, and I'm yeah, as I, I'm guessing it's that. It's all always, that stuff is amazing. Yeah. I was just gonna say it's always interesting to me seeing Adam McKay's name in that mix. <laughs> right. I'm like the you know the the director of Anchorman and also the Big Short like you know the showing up in the script for Ant Man is just like such an interesting like I'm very curious what things he contributed to this story in this script. Yeah. Um, I'd love to see I'd love to see like versions of it. I'd be oh. so interested to see how it it went from like that original kind of vision to where it got to today. Totally, and especially because um, Edgar Wright was on it for so long, you know, like ten years yeah. or something like that. 
<laughs> no, I think I, I think that, that stuff is like I'd much rather see that stuff. And I wonder if if because they you know they're doing the the Ant Man uh, and the Wasp TV thing on yeah. the Disney app because um, everything's on apps. <laughs> and so they, they're they're doing a series, and I, I imagine that like, you'll get a lot more of that kind of stuff where in the TV realm you can spend a lot more time kind of building character. Well, I suppose you kind of have to a little bit more in TV with with budgets, but yeah, I think that's where I think you can tell from which characters have gone onto the, uh, have been like kind of put onto the TV schedule based on um, how well they can write them as characters in their own right, as opposed to needing to be doing something constantly. And like Ant-Man and the Wasp is like, I think quite well written and crafted characters in those two films. Yeah. Um, because they've got like actual like they've got like actual things going on. It's not it's not you know Paul Rudd has like he's kind of like you know his, he's trying to figure out his like his family balance. He's trying to figure out his his is also his like he's got like a day job balance. Yeah. Um. And and he's also trying to be sort of kind of like trying to be like a superhero at the same time. And so they've got all like there's all these little stuff that make it a little bit more interesting than just I'm Captain America who. 24 7 i'm just trying to stop bad guys um <laughs> because he's also trying to like run a business and a security firm and and all this other stuff you know as the as it goes into the second one yeah um so it's like i love all those little elements of all there's loads of little different things you can play on with with uh ant-man and they they crafted that stuff really really well mm-hmm. but it's just it's just the needing to yeah needing, it's just needing to go into the superhero stuff but while we're talking about his job should we i guess because we haven't mentioned michael pena yet which i feel like is uh yeah, for me exactly that, and that that's what i was about to talk about is is the casting <laughs> and the characters in this movie in michael pena particularly is such that's a that's how you pronounce his name yeah, so yeah. for someone with a horrible name i'm also really bad at pronouncing <laughs> names but he's he's incredible he's so good in this movie uh, he had such a, a levity and he had done this right before Ant-Man uh, came out. Not right before, but a few months prior was when Fury came out. And that was like my first like real like, you know, seeing like what Michael Pena could do because Fury was such a, mm-hmm. you know, like a grounded. Did you ever see that movie with Brad Pitt and uh, Logan Lerman, Shia LaBeouf? The tanks. Yeah, exactly. Right. They're, they're stuck yeah, in a tank. Uh, and it's yep. like it's it's a very serious movie. But Michael Pena like was kind of able to to really bring a lot of heart into it and a lot of like kind of Mm -hmm. fun and i don't know like he obviously he was an end of watch and stuff like he has a lot of range and in this movie he's able to just go full comedy uh which is so golden like i i love his character he's he's uh well he's he, his like uh range is amazing because he, he has done you know he did like end of watch yeah fury but he also he was you know he's in like eastbound and down and things like that as well um so he's got he's done like a, a whole mix of stuff and he does it all like really 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 well mm-hmm. but his his but his i mean you know his character and they amp it up this is my this is my thing that i love so much more in the in the first one yeah. um when he does you know his storytelling thing which obviously becomes like a major staple of the second film yes but his storytelling in the first one is much it's much more slowed down um it's ever so slightly more relaxed and it, it it's not quite as caricature as it becomes in the in ant-man and the wasp where yeah. it, he, like he rattles through the story in that one um but i i think they they kind of over they maybe they overplayed their hand a little bit in that but like his delivery of that of that story uh is so phenomenal so oh. phenomenal it's like he's like the highlight of that film but it also sets the whole tone for the thing like it like yeah. when you see that they're like their gang of people you understand immediately very very quickly like this okay we're doing this kind of film now yeah absolutely and and i like first off too he is so fit in this film because i think this was like one of the first 
films that he had done where it was like slim Michael Pena because he had been, you know, <laughs> right. he'd always been like a little chunkier, like not not huge or anything like that, but just like by Hollywood standards, he was like a little bit bigger for a lot of it. And then mm-hmm. he shows up in this film and he's got like this like slim fitted wardrobe and stuff. And you're like, oh, wow, Michael Pena. All right. Good for you. Um <laughs> But yeah, and, and, it, and it works like as a narrative device of just getting, you know, like getting from point A to point B and also doing it in a way that's like really amusing. It's such an inventive like way of handling things to just have him, yeah, rattle off all this stuff. And I, I always think about how many takes it must have taken to get all those <laughs> actors to like match the cadence of, of his voiceover. Because I, I imagine that right. they probably record the voiceover first and then recorded the actors yeah. to match it. Um and so I just like I think about that like you know what what did they have to do to really make that work especially when Stan Lee shows up. Um Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which also because we we talk about every uh uh every one of these movies we talk about the Stan Lee cameo and sort of, you know, rate it on a scale of 1 to 10. Uh mm-hmm. this one to me is like a you know, this is like a solid 7 for me on on ten, Stan Lee cameos. It's 10 for you. Wow. That's- yeah, for sure, for sure, of course. <laughs> well, I have to. I feel like I have to be in this film's corner, like as the <laughs> as, as the, the representative of Ant Man. So yeah, we're hundred percent ten. I feel that though. It, it is a really solid one. I like him as a bartender, and and yeah, like having Michael Pena's voice coming out of his mouth basically is incredible. <laughs> But that um, whole gang is so well, like the the gang is so well designed, and I feel again that like, this feels like a Joe Cornish uh, Edgar Wright thing. Because I mean, because they are they are all kind of like archetypes uh, yeah. of a certain kind of character. You've got like the like the Russian. I'm, this is hopefully I'm getting uh, locations of these people right, but he's like a Russian right because yeah. he talks about Baba Yaga, which I believe yeah, is yeah, Russian. Yeah, yeah. David Desmalchin. Uh, I think David Desmalchin is like uh, himself uh, Armenian, but uh, he's yeah he's playing a Russian character. So you've got you've got like the the Russian uh, typical kind of like talking in the over the top sort of film Russian accent. Mm-hmm. Um, you've got the kind of like gangster thug kind of character, um, and you've got uh, and then you've got Michael. I don't know the thing is I don't know, I don't suppose I don't really know what archetype Michael is. I suppose he's just like the idiot of the group, um, and yeah. then like the smart kind of leader who comes up with all the plans and stuff. But you, like they are immediately the moment they come on screen and the moment they, they say like a single line of dialogue, you like I, I got who those people were like, totally. immediately. It does that so well, uh, and also, which which is helpful because it can also be a little bit broader, I think, than some of the other uh, maybe some of the other Marvel movies which are aiming for something a bit more serious. Mm-hmm. Um, you can have characters who are almost caricature-y like in the instant that they are uh, like on screen, and you're allowed to do that in the comedy because it immediately like designs to, to kind of like laugh at these people. Totally. Um, so you get you get away with it a lot more. But they, that introduction of them all like all speaking is just like. It's so it's just beautifully crafted, so simple, so simple, but like really, really effective. Yeah, and it was like honestly, it was such a surprise to like, and because like Ti is is an is an interesting <laughs> choice to throw in a Marvel movie, uh, right? You know, and he like he's acted a bit, but like you know, his his acting spots are typically you know it's like maybe one a year, you know, or one every two or three years, uh, and so it was just like weird, like all of a sudden, oh. I guess T.I. is like a major character in this Marvel movie. That's that's cool. <laughs> <laughs> he's been I mean, he's been in music videos, right? So that's like some yeah. acting. He's done a bunch of music videos. <laughs> exactly. Like... Well, and he, you know, he, he's done a bit of film. Like he was in Takers. He was in ATL. Uh, you know, he was in he's in a few different movies. But yeah, it's like just such a, a different sort of spot for him to be in, especially like as just like a random supporting character, because typically the movies that he's that he's in it's like you know he's kind of other than like american gangster but typically he's like one of the Mm -hmm. top like three characters in the film um Mm -hmm. 
And so, it, like, uh, yeah, just such a, and especially like most of the films that he's in are like either R-rated or like pretty, you know, like they're not they're not kid films, right? <laughs> right, right, right. Uh, it's it's like just such a weird thing. And then David Dasmalchen as well. He he was in The Dark Knight. He played that like psychotic guy that. Oh, he- of course he did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So it was like, it, again, it's like an interesting thing where it's like, oh, yeah, I know that guy's face. Like, it, and the weird, like, mental gymnastics you have to do to try and figure out where you know him from. <laughs> um, Someone's made, like, a, a kind of how the Marvel movies and the DC movies tile in together based on acting. <laughs> I'm, like, actors, I'm sure, like, that must be a thing on YouTube. Oh, it has to be, yeah. I want to find all those ties. But that, <laughs> the, cast, the casting is so good, though. I mean, like, because they, they do lean heavily on, uh, like, comedy actors it feels yeah. like in this um, totally. like having judy greer in there and and bobby's done a few comedy bits did you ever see a weird as a weird bobby tangent because i <laughs> have, i love him so much yeah um and he, and he so he did a film uh called romance and cigarettes have you ever seen romance and cigarettes i haven't seen it it's uh directed by john totoro how do you say his name totoro totoro, totoro, yeah. totoro. uh so he directed it uh, cohen's produced it and it's a musical where um they no, they don't people sing but they just sing like over a backing track um so there's like you know uh i think there's like engelbert humperdinck a man without love uh james gandolfini sings over that um like susan sarandon's in it singing um take a little piece of my heart it's really it's a really really cool film but bobby's in there and he's quite young and he says one of my favorite lines from all of cinema i think he's talking to like mandy he's trying to like flirting with mandy moore Uh and she says to him uh she says uh you want to make out with me and he says i want to make out make out with your whole family baby and it's so weird <laughs> and but so pitch perfect and he, like ever since that moment i think that maybe was one of the first things i saw him in apart from like sex in the city or something uh-huh. but ever since that one moment i was like i love you and i will follow you forever <laughs> um i mean it's a really cool film with uh peter dinklage uh called um the train uh, station agent that mm. was uh, directed by uh the guy that did spotlight uh, tom oh, tom yeah. mccarthy yeah yeah um and that film's really, really cool as well. And again, he plays this like over, over exaggerated sort of like eccentric guy who um, has to look after like a little coffee, a little portable, um, portable mobile coffee shop that because his dad's like ill, uh-huh. and then tries to like best friends with Peter Dinklage, who just wants to be left alone. And it's, I love him. I think he's fantastic. So like any film that's got Bobby Cannavale in it, I'm, I think it's probably the best casting uh, ever for any film. But they have <laughs> just got like a really, really solid cast. Um, yeah, of people who have done comedy and also like you're talking about with Michael as well, but and, and Corey, they, they, I think they've done like comedy and fairly serious dramatic roles, and that, so you can switch and make that yeah. switch. And like, I don't think it would have it really. Yeah, it works and relies so heavily on like how well they've casted that. Whoever cast it is a genius. <laughs> well, I think that's the thing that's kind of like come out with you know that they've again like figured out in these Marvel movies is that if they can cast you know like the 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 script will pull a lot of the weight the directors will pull a lot of the weight and so if they can cast people who have kind of the the chops to do comedy uh then it brings sort of that extra element to these characters that that elevates them above what's you know specifically on the page um mm-hmm. you know i i think like obviously downey i think is a huge example of this where he is one of these actors obviously he's a serious actor or whatever but he can really pull off comedy um hemsworth as well you know like there's a lot of these actors that they have that you know their characters are so much more fleshed out just because you know the actor has those instincts to understand like how to play certain lines uh uh, and really bring that extra little element to it that that allows it to kind of you know to to just give it a little little life i hadn't Um, thought about that before but yeah no that's i that is yeah quite a lot of the the leads have got uh, good comic shops. Yeah, and uh, like with Hemsworth, they kind of got lucky because I don't think they knew it with him for a while. <laughs> you know, 
He does well. The the first two Thors don't give you the impression though. Yeah, it's like there's some slightly goofy <laughs> moments, but it's always like kind of a Buster Keaton thing where they're just like Thor, you know, Hemsworth's like doing a Pratt fall or something like that, you know. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And speaking of Pratt, obviously Chris Pratt being another. Um, but uh, of course, yeah. <laughs> um, this movie, so th- this movie garnered at the box office uh, 519 million dollars globally on a production budget of 130 million, which again quite a lot of money uh most most studios consider that quite a, a large success uh, and that would be kind of a <laughs> a big a big tentpole film for them for the year however uh this is the 18th highest grossing marvel cinematic universe movie uh mm-hmm. which just beats out thor captain america incredible hulk uh and that's that's it like it, it is almost near like the, no movie since phase one has grossed lower than than ant-man but it is still a success. Like it's still easily made money. Uh, it's wild to me that like these these movies are so successful that half a billion dollars on a production budget of one thirty is still like not that impressive. Yeah, I'd be quite happy with that. You know, <laughs> I'd be quite happy. But I, mean, yeah. I don't think the second I don't think the second one did much. Yeah. this is all off memory mm-hmm. so you might be able to tell me but i'm pretty sure the second one didn't didn't do that well either yeah the, i say that well yeah it did well but the like, second one did a rest- bit better um the second one made about a hundred million dollars more but yeah it was 622 on a on a production budget uh that has not been disclosed but i imagine the production budget on the second one was like maybe 160 um mm-hmm. and so mm-hmm. yeah it's like essentially about the same amount of profit was probably made on on both of these movies um and so, yeah, it's it, and that's also why I question like whether or not there will be a third installment in this particular franchise, um, <laughs> right? Because it's just it like does, I think, yeah. Well, no, I was gonna say I think it does definitely it does make more sense as a thing to put on the the kind of like the, the TV, you know, like the TV Marvel stuff that Disney's gonna do instead. Yeah, more, more so than kind of doing it as a film. I think I just think as a as a as a set of characters, it just makes more sense. As a, even even beyond if it'll make the required amount of <laughs> the gajillion dollars it needs to make or whatever to be successful, but totally, uh, it just it just makes more sense as, like as a character piece, I think, to move them off of off a film onto TV. Yeah, um, and uh, and this movie, like you know, we were, like kind of like we were talking about this movie. I think everyone really forgets how much they like it. Uh, you know, the the critical response on this movie, you know, Rotten Tomatoes counts eighty two percent of reviews being positive on this movie, which is easily certified fresh. Uh, the audience score as well, 86% of the audience, uh, enjoyed the movie. Um, so all in all, like a very, very positive reception, uh, to a movie. Yeah, it's, it's the thing, it's that weird thing where I had the, I did have that exact same experience where as as I was watching it, I was like, this is so good. Yeah. Like it's, it's beyond, it's better than it need, like better than it needs to be. I think, Mm -hmm. you know, there's a lot of like really funny visual stuff yep. uh when like stole ha- like holds that mini sheep you know and he's he's like miniaturized the sheep that is hilarious <laughs> yes um there's the there's like fun palettes with like the the baskin robbins thing right at the start i think it's baskin oh, robbins yeah it's like pink and blue i think is the, yep. their colors um and so the, 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 and obviously the the kind of like the thomas the tank engine fight is genius mm-hmm. um but even but even just stuff like i think when he you know when he, he's first kind of like learning about his powers and is it louis comes in and he takes his he like goes into he climbs into the bath or has like a, a yep. uses the toilet or something and he's tiny he's like no 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 yeah, there's yeah. lots of like little cool visual gags um but i think because they they prioritize when they're like marked in this stuff they prioritize like who's gonna die yeah. uh that it doesn't this stuff doesn't kind of 
mean anything anymore. They they kind of like undermine their own work by by not caring so much about making a good individual film so much as just an, an, the next installment in this bigger overarching story, yeah. which Ant Man does very very little to contribute. Totally, and 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 I think there's there's actually there's a couple points there that I want to um uh, talk about briefly. One, I think post End Game, at least my hope is that post End Game they go okay, let's take a breather from giant overarching stories for a little while and yeah. let's just do a bunch of character films, you know, like the, and the ones that we've heard about thus far, you've got like black widow. Um, you've got, you know, obviously the new Spider-Man film. Like I, I hope that they do a lot of that at least for a few years where it's just like, let's, let's just kind of explore some characters without leading to the next event. You know, let's have, mm-hmm. you know, a, mm-hmm. a phase quote unquote where, you know, we can just kind of explore the territory again. Um, and reestablish the next sort of generation of our universe. You know, do a Fantastic Four film or whatever. Now that they have them, um, you think you think that they would go? Yeah, because that's. I mean, that's what they did, right? For like this kind of uh, what do you chapter. call? It? Is this a phase or is it like a chap- chapter? Like this saga. Um, I think they call it the Infinity Saga. Is like the first three right. phases. Right. So the, the whole saga was designed, uh, and I have to imagine that they did have like a concrete plan in mind before they even did that first Iron Man, or maybe it came off the back of that first Iron Man, whatever. But mm-hmm. they kind of had like clearly had a, an idea of what they wanted to do uh, first, and it, it'd be nice if they went back to that. How, like Disney made uh, however many billions of dollars in profit oh, right, right. <laughs> last year. They don't. They don't need every like. They don't need the next four movies to be grossing billions and billions <laughs> and billions. Um, they can be. They can make the same kind of amount that kind of like ant-man made or a little bit more or whatever yeah. but a couple of films and just build some new characters for us to care about but i do hope because like the black widow one i really just hope that that is kind of um uh i don't know much about it i'm, I'm assuming it might, maybe it's like an origin or if it's not an origin it's like the next it's just like another yeah. spy story i yeah. hope i i feel like it'll kind of be a thing where it's it's like present day black widow sort of tracing a case that has something to do with right. like her days in the kgb and so it, you know ends up being yeah like an espionage james bond type thing like I, I feel like that'll probably be the direction they go where it's sort of two time periods but yeah it's like that that type of thing where you can just tell an interesting story about a character in a situation uh yeah i and i hope it i hope it is that i hope they do the the kind of the spy thing and they like this this is going to be our like our, our spy superhero movie this is going to be our uh i don't mean, i don't know what else they're doing. fantastic four i guess is their they're like their family uh yeah. drama one or their sci-fi one that kind of thing mm-hmm. like i hope they just kind of decide to do that sort of thing now yeah same and, and i think that that's that's an area that ant-man could fit into very well you know like and obviously you know really has like that's kind of the idea with the with his films and so maybe mm-hmm. you know learning some lessons from that from ragnarok from guardians of the galaxy and kind of taking that into their next phase um but the the other thing that that i you know wanted to sort of get into off of what you said was you talked about you know this movie not really setting up too much for the rest of the universe i do wonder if the quantum realm obviously the quantum realm sets up what they do in ant-man and the wasp and going to find you know the original wasp Mm -hmm. but i do wonder if the quantum realm ends up playing you know a big part in endgame i mean obviously there's the theory of ant-man going up thanos's butt uh which is a great one and i hope it happens (laughs) (laughs) which i'm walking i'm walking out if at no point he's inside his butt i'm like i'm doing this i'm done terrible review i'm out i want my money back no thanos i think 
I'm guessing from like the trailer because uh, it, it looks like they it looks like they're in those like quantum realm costumes in one point in the tra- in one of the trailers, mm. um, which maybe is a spoiler for everyone. I don't know. I, this maybe this is out after uh, Infinity War comes out. Um, the it, Endgame, sorry, comes out. It'll still be it'll still be about a week or so before Endgame comes out. However, uh, uh, you, you've got full license. Stuff's in the trailer, and we also like we don't know for sure what everyone's doing in certain suits. You know, it's like it could be a space suit, but it could be a quantum realm suit. I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm guessing it's a quantum. Uh, I'm guessing it's a quantum realm suit. Like it looks, it looks very, very, very similar. So I'm, I'm assuming that there's definitely some kind of quantum realmness involved. Otherwise, there is literally no reason uh, for like the Ant Man films to be there. <laughs> yeah, they don't. Otherwise, they're not doing anything. Otherwise, so, like there has to be a reason. I think they make such a big deal about the quantum realm that it has to. It will definitely come into play. I think it has to. Yeah, I think. On it's a side the... note, mm-hmm. when is when is Endgame out? Uh, Endgame is out, I believe, on the twenty sixth. Um, yeah, I think we get it a couple of days earlier than you. Do you really? Yeah, because I think we've got tickets to watch it on the day it comes out, which I think is the twenty fourth. The twenty fourth, damn. Yeah, I, th- I think on like yeah. the, the twenty. Okay, yeah, the twenty. Well, the twenty fifth is like it's weird. The opening day is always the Friday, but then they there's usually it used to be that there would be midnight showings. Uh, and now like since for, the, for like a week today for the Thursday next week in the morning. Like ten AM or something on the twenty fifth. So I think we. I, morning. Yeah, I think I think we got it a day earlier than you. You assholes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, that's, I'm just going to be tweeting live tweeting oh, yeah, the whole that's thing. What I'm saying. I was like, man, I was I was going to tell everyone to go follow you on Twitter, but now it's just going to be full of spoilers. <laughs> so no, never mind. His <laughs> book. But in the first five minutes, I'm 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 guessing right now that's exactly how it's going to start. Imagine if that's how it started. It'd be amazing. Just, it's just like Ant Man going through kind of like a like a weird red tunnel. You're like, why is this tunnel sort of fleshy? And then you know, I, mean, I suppose it wouldn't be. Maybe it wouldn't be red inside Thanos. Maybe it's purple. But maybe it's purple. You know, why yeah. is he going through this weird purple tunnel? Oh my! Oh my God! No. <laughs> Man, that'd be so grotesque too. He just increases in size and like it cuts to an exterior <laughs> shot of Thanos like on his little farm and just like slowly <laughs> expanding. <laughs> Eventually. Do you remember like how Men in Black ends? When, yes. Uh, uh, yeah. So basically that, but but with Thanos and Ant. It's perfect. I think there's nothing else that that needs to be done with that. <laughs> um. Well, uh, as as we near the end, a uh, couple of little things that we. Let's get out of this conversation. Oh no! Yeah. I I trust me. I love it. I just I'm always like trying to keep the time relatively uniform with these episodes, and obviously respect uh, your time as a creator. I. Uh, but uh, <laughs> I do love. I ha- there's no, do not, there's no need to respect me. We've just been talking about Ant Man exploding Thanos <laughs> from his butt. So, yeah. Um, but we always another thing that we like to 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 rate uh in each of these films is the MacGuffin. Um, some of the Marvel films do a really good job of having like a, a fun and creative and interesting MacGuffin that drives the plot and brings the characters into conflict. Others throw a rock in the middle of a situation and make everyone want the rock. Um. This one doesn't quite give us a glowing rock. Uh, however, it does give us just a suit, uh, a, a new type of Ant-Man suit that we need to go and get. Otherwise, the world's going to end. Um, right. And I think this one is is like, it's a cool thing. Like, just in ter- like my sci-fi brain goes, yeah, that's a cool thing. I love the design, whatever. But plot-wise, this MacGuffin is like fairly meaningless. You know what I mean? Like, I, I don't like it when... And I know it's like the definition of a MacGuffin is something that the audience doesn't care about, but I think that <laughs> right. I think the George Lucas version of a MacGuffin is just a superior one where it's like, no, you you can care about a MacGuffin. Like you can have the MacGuffin be a thing that is important mm-hmm. to both the characters and you. Uh, mm-hmm. 
And so I think this one's a very like middle of the road, like a four out of ten, just because it's like it's kind of inconsequential. No one's really attached to it. It's just it's a it's a basically as good as like just a bomb or a weapon or whatever. Yeah, it seems it seems to just be there to purely get people where they need to be, as exactly. opposed to yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, no, it meant not absolutely nothing to me. I yeah. much, much, much more cared about that little sheep. Like I, I that's <laughs> the thing that's been seared into my brain after watching it again. Totally, if that man. was the MacGuffin, I would be, I'd be, that would be a ten out of ten. Uh, yeah, that'd be perfect. Because that's what I like is when when there is something to make you care about what happens to the MacGuffin. You know, if it's a person, if mm-hmm. it's if it's you know like like R two D two in Star Wars, or you know if it's Bucky in Civil War, like. You know, mm-hmm. there, there's there's an actual agenda to the MacGuffin, and the MacGuffin itself can you know affect the plot rather than just like oh someone grabbed it, you know. Uh, which there's a like time. Imagine if the that. sheep had well, imagine if the sheep had like somehow wriggled its way into the suit exactly and oh. had gone miniature, and they were trying to find, like I that I'm I'm writing that the moment we stop doing this podcast. Hell yes, and <laughs> and and sheep. Um, I'm pitching that. <laughs> it's great. Uh, the other thing we like to do: uh, best performance and best rising star, or or just rising star of the movie. Um, I think best performance. I, I feel like it has to be Michael Pena. My only question, like the thing that I'm I'm trying to figure out, is who would a rising star be? Because I feel like Michael Pena would have been way too established at this point to really qualify. Yeah, I I, I think we could probably put um, uh, Scott Lang's uh, daughter. Mm, yeah, who yeah. was played by Abby, Abby Ryder Forston. Yeah, and I just she, googled that. <laughs> she is really, really good. She was also um, she was like in a, a Dog's Journey and a couple other things since then. Um, I really like her. I also like the fact that they're setting up Cassie because you know, obviously, she you know in the in the comics, Cassie is actually an important character that goes on to be in the Young Avengers and a superhero in her mm-hmm. own right, like. And so I like establishing that character and how fun she is. I gosh, the moment when she gets the ugly bunny and is like, <laughs> "He's so ugly, I love him!" Like it's, uh, it's such a good moment. I really like that. She's yeah, she's and she's like actually like uh, you know she's actually quite good. Yes, as an, like as an actor, she's like I believe that. Yeah, no, she's she's so great. Yeah, so she's probably rising star. I think for me at least, Michael Pena's best performance for sure. Yeah um villain rating one through ten i'm i'm going like a f- yeah three or a four on this one it's only I'm gonna, safe i'm gonna go high things. again oh and i and i'll tell i'm gonna go high because i feel bad uh mm. because i feel like it, it's no fault of of cory <laughs> it's not and right, i also want right. to stick up <laughs> i want to stick up for bald men <laughs> um so i'm gonna i'm gonna give him like i'm gonna give him like a nine because i think i think in his heart right i think i think cory came to that role really you know really wanting to make that work and really having yeah. a good deep idea of of the kind of the pathos of that character i agree i don't i don't know it didn't necessarily translate to be on screen yeah but i think we can we can all accept that probably he, he did like quite a lot of work um into building that character off screen yeah. and unfortunately just didn't get the opportunity to show it as well as he wanted to on screen yeah no so I... 10 10 let's go <laughs> 10. 10 wow okay um... let's go 10 <laughs> Uh, then the last couple things we have, uh, the mid-credits scene, uh, which is uh, basically Hope discovering her, her suit, uh, which also we haven't talked too much about Evangeline Lilly. I really like her in this movie, and I think she, she serves a fun part, but at the same time, I wish that she had more to do here. I, I like her a lot yeah. more in the second movie. Um, she, I, I love her hair. Yes. Is that a, is that a strange thing to say? No. I mean, she's got like very severe hair. Her, the um, hair works they, for they, her they face relax, so They relax well. it again, I think, a little bit in the second one. Yeah. But... it's it's true but it's it's such a good haircut like and it fits her face really really well um Mm -hmm. but anyway you know so we have this mid-credits scene of her discovering the wasp suit which of course sets up ant-man and the wasp uh 
I think it's a pretty good one. Um, you know, it it only left me going like, man, I wish that like she had been Wasp in this film because uh, I always found the reasoning for not letting her do it to be a little bit thin. Um, yep. I but yeah, so I'd say you know this is, this is a solid like six or seven uh, as a mid credit scene. Yeah, it's 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 weird because I, I I really like that that uh, I really like that moment, but also yeah. it it sort of then. Like you said, it sort of undermines everything else because it's just. You, I, I remember seeing it for the first time, just thinking, "Oh, like, oh, so, like, why don't you just do that like twenty minutes into the film and then like put her in the suit?" Yeah, um, because there, many... there isn't. There's absolutely. There's just no reason for it. And also, it's like the more the, when I think about it, I just like that is a more interesting film. Yep. Where you get rid of a bit more of the the kind of like the superheroiness at the end, and then you make it a bit more character focused, yep. and you make it a bit more about those like relationship dynamics. And so it's like I would have given it like an eight or a nine, but then thinking about how they could have made that film a little bit better mm-hmm. if that scene was somewhere else, it kind of drops it down. So maybe like a five. Yeah, exactly. Even upon a first watching, like seeing that scene, it almost like yeah, it it did something to take the the air out of the actual movie that I just watched. <laughs> and so it was like yeah, it was I, it might have been like it probably would have been better if they just left that for the next film because yeah. it because it, it, it it sort of you just like it just reminds you of what you could have seen <laughs> like exactly instead. like this is the film we could have showed you instead yeah it's like oh, oh, oh yep. okay uh and then the post credit scene it's just a cut down scene from uh, captain america civil war where falcon's trapped and and uh or sorry where where winter soldier's trapped and falcon comes in and it's like something 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 we need some people the accords are preventing us from whatever and uh, i know a guy <laughs> uh right and so it's like it's fun it's cool i liked it you know because it was like we were anticipating civil war at the time so we want you know like any footage we got was cool however Mm. it does always like take a little bit out of it for me when the scene that we're seeing in the post credits is just a scene from another movie uh right i'm like well it's kind of that's fine i guess you know like and it's a good scene and i like it but it's it's i don't know i just always want like something extra that's like just you know special that that will continue to be there uh rather than just you know something that they pulled from somewhere else um yeah you want like the di- like the diner scene or whatever right you want like a little just like a little fun yeah uh, individual moment yeah, yeah. even no, if I it's agree. just I a agree. gag even if it's just a gag it's still fun like homecoming has that moment where captain america just comes out and talks about disappointment <laughs> you know right. like yeah, yeah. those yeah. are just fun um and so yeah, this one it's like uh, yeah, it's like a four because it's a good scene, but it just I, I you know I have a problem with that. <laughs> <laughs> no, I agree. I'll, I'll give it a six just to to kind of balance it out mm. in favor of that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, I, I think... feel really defensive of it. Like I feel like it's like it's like my like my best friend or like my, I don't know like my, my my child or something. Now after doing this, I feel it's like okay. whenever anyone bad mouths it from now on, they'll be like, no, it's it's, it's the greatest <laughs> thing ever made. Well, I think you know that's the thing. I think I've been overly antagonistic of this film uh, on this podcast. I do no, really I enjoy we, it. I think we both have. No, I think yeah. I think we, we, there's. I think there's. It's very clear problems with it. Yeah. Uh, but then, but then, it just immediately, like on the other end of it, I'm like, hey, hey ease up on the, you know. <laughs> I feel like you know it's like I can yeah. say bad things about it but you know I don't know if anyone else can I feel that I, I definitely feel that I think if, if someone were to come to me being like yeah Ant-Man sucks or whatever I'd probably be like well hey hold on that's my friend let's, let's, calm, let's calm down a second yeah, yeah that's my friend I can tell him he sucks but you can't <laughs> um anyway uh but yeah that's that's i think that's it for ant-man uh has what what plugs you got you got a lot of things going on in the world tell us about your your comics your youtube channel your magazine everything uh, yeah, you, check out the the YouTube channel I run called Strip Panel Naked, where I, I dissect uh, comic book storytelling. It's it's really cool. So um, good. And I I make a magazine as well uh, called Panel by Panel, which is at panelxpanel.com, which Great is also uh, cool. And it's not just me. There's loads of other people in there. And it's really good. Um, 
Uh, and what else? Oh, and, uh, working on comics and stuff. I don't know. Just, yeah, man. Just, I'm on Twitter at, uh, at Hassan OE, so I just tweet a lot on there. So I don't know. If he's you, he's if a good follow, people. It's it's uh it's it's always fascinating uh, finding Hass's thoughts on on various things. Your his YouTube videos are are incredibly insightful. I think there's there's no one better at uh, at reading into the sort of like narrative techniques of comics. Um, and I hear like there's a few people in that panel by panel magazine that like interview people from time to time, and they might be pretty cool too. I you know it's I, I don't know. There there's, there was an amazing interview uh, with um, so again this is a, this is a name I'm definitely absolutely going to pr- uh, mispronounce. I'll let you uh, pronounce it, mm-hmm. but um, about TKO's, uh, TKO TKO uh, oh, yeah, TKO's. There you go. Uh, and that was that was in a t- couple of issues ago, issue yeah. nine, nine, 20, I think. Sure, yeah. Um, is it 20 i think I maybe I and, it was, and it was really it's no it's an absolutely fantastic interview i know that uh content of that is elsewhere as well um but yes that was like one of my favorite things we've had in the magazine in in, in very recent and, and honestly it's like I, I love that it's really really good it was that you're, was you're very one. good at you're very you're, you're very good at interviewing people oh thank you it's it's you know it's always nice to to get my ego floated a little bit um <laughs> But uh, no, it's 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 a great magazine. Like I I was reading it before I started contributing anything to it, and I I read it every month. So everyone out there, if you have any interest in comics, I think panel by panel is is easily worth the uh, worth the purchase. Um, but yeah, check out all Hass's stuff. He's on Twitter at Hassan Oe. Uh, and uh, Hass, thank you so much for joining the show. Thank you for having me. It's a, a, always a genuine pleasure. <laughs> Thanks so much, man. And then for all the listeners, you can follow us at That Might Be Cool. You can follow me at Jason Halftones, and you can check out our Patreon, patreon.com slash That Might Be Cool. Uh, and we will see you tomorrow for Civil War. Goodbye. That Might Be Cool.com. You never know. <laughs> <laughs>